Welcome to this month's episode of Fraud Talk. I'm Mandy Moody, the content manager here at the ACFE. And this month I am joined by Sean McCleskey. Sean is currently the Director of Organizational Education and Measurement at the University of Texas Center for Identity. That, that is a mouthful. And he is also a retired Secret Service Special Agent. So welcome, Sean. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. So before we start talking about San Antonio's largest identity theft case uh, that you worked on, tell me a little bit about your former life and a little bit about what you do now. I joined the the U.S. Secret Service in 1998 out of law school. And like most Secret Service agents, I was working counterfeit credit cards in, in the variety of investigations that we have jurisdiction over. And then in 2004, I was asked to start an identity theft task force, which would be a grouping of agencies in the San Antonio area that that had some responsibility for identity theft-related crimes. And so we started with about a five- to six-man unit that came from local, state, and federal agencies. And our our mission was to go out and try to suppress identity theft-related crimes as, as, as best we could. And at that time, identity theft-related crimes were sort of a, a, a new thing. We had been working them, but really in the context more of, uh, of counterfeit checks, credit cards, concept of, of somebody using their identity. I mean, that was happening, but it was sort of more, you know, the misuse of the Social Security number. The, 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 the identity theft, you know, was, it was a, a term we used, but really nothing like it is today. And so tell us a little bit about what you do now. So now what I do is after I retired, I went to work for what's called the Center for Identity at the University of Texas at Austin. And we are a research center that is university-wide. That means we draw faculty from all of the different schools and disciplines at UT. And what we do basically is we, we look at identity. You know, what is, what is identity? How do you define identity? And then we also look at how identity is stolen, how it is utilized by criminals. We look at, you know, how um, criminals acquire identity, how they, they access it. Is it, you know, is it analog theft? Is it a computer theft? And then we, we, we sort of go out and see, you know, how, how can we build curriculum to train people to make them better aware of what the issues are today and, and try to raise awareness about it um, through the education and through the research. That culminates into certificate courses and into the master's program, which is, is basically to try to educate and build up a better workforce that has an idea of what identity is and, you know, the, the, what an asset, what a value it is, and then trying to protect that asset, that value. Tell us a little bit about where you were first brought in on this identity theft case and when you first got wind of it. We were at that time targeting the, the Aryan Brotherhood uh, of Texas, their chapter in San Antonio, and okay. also targeting individuals who were uh, using methamphetamine. Those, those individuals were highly involved in the stealing of identities, the making of counterfeit checks, uh, credit cards, and so forth. And so in the, in the process of running the numerous search warrants, we started seeing customer portfolios coming from a hotel located in San Antonio. So right away on the on the portfolio, we were seeing names, the credit card number, the CVC, uh, the CVC numbers on the back, the three-digit code as well, and so and some other information that was contained in the profile. And so we obviously said, well, this is, you know, problematic. Somebody has gotten access to this. So when we went to go to the hotel to inquire about it, we 
we met with the manager, manager was completely unaware that the information was missing. And when we went into the room where the information was stored, we found box after box after box, empty box that was supposed to be holding customer portfolios, which were empty. And wow. they were completely surprised by that. And obviously, security of that data was not terribly robust. And so what we started seeing is more and more we were out in the community, you know, working these various cases, these, these portfolios started popping up. And what had happened was this group, which had primarily been affiliated with the Aryan Brotherhood, had gotten in. Somebody inside the hotel had told them where this information was going to be stored. We never was had a hard time confirming that, but for whatever reason, they were able to locate it, find it, take it. And then the group split into two different factions. One faction, the predominantly the Aryan Brotherhood, um, were going around using it, fake credit card or making counterfeit credit cards, and actually taking a gift card wiping off the existing number and then stenciling on the stolen credit card number. And then they would scratch the back of that strip. So when you, you know, provide it to a merchant, they couldn't, they couldn't you know, swipe it, so they had to manually input in, in the machine, and that, it worked. And so that was kind of how they went around and used all of these stolen credit card numbers. The other group got a little bit smarter, and they went out and actually made counterfeit credit cards. And what they were doing was buying large dollar items, tires, ATVs, compressors, and we believe selling those for profit or we, we had information, it was hard to, to verify this, but that they were providing that that those items to some of the uh, some of the cartel or drug organizations in Mexico. It was kind of interesting to see, you know, how this group had got it and kind of did two different types of scams with it. And the biggest problem was is we it was very difficult, obviously, to notify victims because they weren't sure exactly what credit card numbers had been stolen. So they had a difficulty in trying to alert you know their customers. The reality of it was those numbers were going to be good for a very long period of time. When you got to the hotel and they tell me what again what year this was and how they were storing their records. Approximately 2007, I believe, and, and they were storing them in, in just a room that didn't appear to be locked at that time, or was not. It was not locked consistently. And so, what struck me to that was is that this was probably one of their most valuable pieces of information, and they had kind of the the supplies that went into the rooms appeared to be secure better than they, than this, this information was. The learning point, I think a lot of organizations see their product is really their asset. And then sometimes the information that's gathered during the business is not seen as as much of an asset. You know, once it's once that credit card number is run and people get paid, it kind of goes to the side. It just wasn't viewed as much of an asset as it, as it should have been. The, the value of it has sort of dissipated once the credit card number had been used, and then it had just been sort of haphazardly put away at that time. How did you track down and find the people that were responsible for for taking it? We got to do a number of things. We were able to, like a lot of cases, we're able to sort of grab somebody involved in what we call flip in order they were able to turn over information to us and sort of identify the other people. We were actually also 
ton of getting referrals on these cases and really didn't realize that they were connected because we were getting, you know, we were getting people saying, hey, my credit card's used for this value. And then, you know, all of a sudden we started saying, hey, did you ever stay at, you know, at this particular hotel? And they were like, yes, we did. Okay, well, now we start grouping those people together. So it was a combination of things. And we would also, as we would find these portfolios during these search warrants, we would obviously interview the individuals that had them in the possession, and they would, you know, most of them would provide some amount of information which we were able to piece together. So it was one of these cases where we had multiple leads that we had to sort of follow, and ultimately we were able to figure out, okay, we this was a, you know, one theft or multiple thefts by one group, and then eventually that group split up, split up their numbers and went their, their merry way, which obviously made it a little bit more difficult because we had two different groups. So that, that's, you know, we have essentially two different investigations that came out of the same breach. Just to go to show, you know, how problematic these breaches of, of information can be. That's not what you want your hotel to be known for. Did the hotel shut down or are they still, they're still operating? They're still there and they really had to really think their whole security profile. Okay, what, how do we prevent this in the future? In doing more of an internal assessment on, you know, what, what is, what is the value? And that, and, and understanding is these things, once the credit card is, you know, legitimately used, it still has value, still has to be, you know, has to be protected. And, you know, and, and most of these, and a lot of organizations have to maintain credit card receipts for, you know, a period of time. I think that's typically seven years or, or whatever the, the, you know, regulatory mandate requires. And you're you're going to have to hold on to it. So how do you, you know, what's the best way to do it? Is that, you know, to now obviously, you know, you've got ways to, you know, transfer it digitally and, 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 and encrypt it and put it into a server um, or a network and, and that's a way or if you're going to have a paper record it needs to be you know more secure you know and who has access to that um, those, that, those records or keeping track of that those are sort of the things that most organizations should be doing and you know sometimes that some of them do and some of them don't and this was a good example of kind of a complete failure of all of that is an interesting uh, tidbit. One of the de- one of the defendants we arrested and who went to prison when he came out, he was arrested subsequently after that. This was about a year ago, and when they went and did a search of his home, they found a a, a number, uh, several thousand of these portfolios he had still had that he had hidden away. And essentially, when they asked him why, he said, you know, that was sort of like my retirement account. I mean, uh, he goes, I, I knew most of those numbers would still probably be good because, again, you know. How would they, they wouldn't, those folks wouldn't have probably been notified. Nobody would have known, you know, to reach out to them or to be able to contact them. So he's like, I still had a wealth of information here. And so he had managed to hide on to that, you know, for, gosh, four to five years. And then that, that said a lot about, that said a lot about what he, his valuation of that information as opposed to the hotel valuation of that information. So it was a really, like I said, it was a really sort of a case study about, you know, what happens if you don't uh, protect that data and, and really, you know, how badly it can go for you if, in fact, it gets out there and, and, and some of the things that people can do with that. And, you know, and, and one of the other things is they were taking bits and pieces of this information they got from the hotel and then going on to some public uh, database sites and then building a, a better profile of somebody. So another lesson is you get a couple pieces of information, you know, that particularly right now in, in today's world, you can... You can, there's a lot of resources to build a full, you know, profile of a person. You just need a couple pieces of it. And so that's, again, you know, a, a lesson learned in that.
What advice do you have for organizations who are facing having all of this data, essentially, that they're going to either have to move online or move somewhere else that have been these paper records for so long? The, the first and foremost is that organizations really need to look at, okay, what kind of data do we collect? You know, exactly what do we collect? And why are we collecting it? Is there, a, is there a genuine need for it, or is it sort of information we're collecting just, you know, kind of by nature of the business? Or, or we might need it somewhere down the road. So that's kind of the first thing they got to do. And then once you know what you have, it's, you know, classification of that information. Is some of it more sensitive than others? If some of it is more sensitive, then maybe it needs to be, you know, segregated. And, and it's got to maybe it stuff that's in the server that's got more security features that's being monitored, or more importantly, you have fewer people that have access to it, and those people potentially are going through a background check, and, and those are the kind of things that you, you would do, and, you know, if you're going to have, again, if you're going to have paper records, you know, how, how secure are they? Uh, do you have a destruction plan? You know, how does that work? If you have to maintain it for a certain period of years, do they automatically, when that period expires, do you automatically have a destruction plan, whether that be shredding, whether that be if it's you know hard if it's hard drives, um, you know going through a, a process that's you know that absolutely destroys it, not just saying that you wiped it and tossing it out in the trash. Um, you know those are kind of things that are just institutionally that organizations should be doing, and some of organizations do a good job, and then some of them you know don't do a good job. And then recognizing you know some of the research we've done at, at UT is you know we model cases, identity theft and breach cases. And you know what we found in that, that study is about 50% of identity theft or unauthorized breaches come from physical theft, and 50 come from an, a computer or a uh, you know a, a server. So what you really should learn from that is if you put all of your you know your resources into one or the other, you're still going to be vulnerable. You know, a, a, have a large percentage possibility of being um, affected by you know identity theft. So. You really got to have a whole, you know, a whole 360 approach to this, and cover not only your your computers, your networks, your servers, but also your people. You know, your your, your policies, procedures on how you handle data. That's crazy that there's still 50% physical. Yeah, I think people don't realize that, Randy. I think people realize. I mean, mail theft is really a real problem in San Antonio right now. It's very easy to do, and there's a lot of information in the mail. And again, it, it's like. You can get bits and pieces of information. Once you have that, and you can go out and you know use social media, use some of the public databases, and you can build a, a, a better profile of somebody. And so, people tend to forget. You know, there's there's a lot of talk about you know cyber attacks and, and breaches, and and there should be. I mean, those are problematic, and, and 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 you know we should be working hard to prevent those. But I always say, just don't forget about you know some of the simple stuff that can happen to you, and, and you can be victimized very quickly. Make sure that you understand what the real, what it really looks like out there uh, in this in this field. So, let's close with your number one prediction for what we're going to see next year with identity theft. Or what do you, how do you think it's looking, evolving, changing? What what's to expect? What's going to happen is is we have some new regulations that are coming from the European Union called GDPR. And what I think GDPR, what GDPR is going to do is if you're an organization in the U.S. or you know or anywhere, if you and mainly it'll, it'll affect the U.S. I mean, it'll affect us. Um, is if you collect data on a EU citizen, then you're going to have to follow a whole new set of rules and regulations and policies. 
uh, and those are very, very strict and robust on behalf of the cons on the consumer, on the person whose information has been collected. Yeah. And I think it's going to change a just how businesses formulate their uh, their policies around data and data protection. They're going to have to, because the Department of Justice has already said that those rules and regulations are going to be going to be binding over here. It's going to change a lot of things just on the consent. Uh, it's got to be almost. It's got to be very explicit consent. It's you have the right to be forgotten. You have the right to have your data transferred to another organization if you want it. And you have the right to get your data. You have the right to know how your data is being processed by the organization. It's going to have to be data protection officers that are appointed. They're sort of they work for the organization, but they're an almost an independent entity to make sure the data security and policies procedures are followed. I think it's really going to change how organizations look at this over here. I don't know how long it will take, Mandy, but I think ultimately it will it will be better for individuals whose data is collected. Yeah, and I think that's rolling out May 2018, right? That's correct. Yes, May 2018 is when that will come into full effect. And I think it's going to be um, just a huge change because it's really security is paramount. And then the business sort of wraps around the security philosophy. I think that's opposite of here in the States where, you know, it's the business and security kind of wraps around it. Mm -hmm. and, and the real, I mean, they really believe that in, in the EU, that you know, that they are organizations are stewards of the information. So they're there to, you know, it's never, it still belongs to the person. They're just there to safeguard it and you know to use it, you know, in a way that's that's beneficial to the end of, to the the person that gave the information over. And that's that's kind of a different philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> some yeah. Than over here. That's interesting. Yeah, we've been reading a lot about it and kind of how businesses can prepare. Um, because so many organizations do business <laughs> or, ha you know, have clients in the EU any in any shape or form. So it's it's going to affect a lot of people. Well, I think it will affect it, too, because it's going to be this high standard. And, you know, it's why, like like a lot of things, sometimes organizations will, you know, will kind of follow the highest standard in the, in the, in the industry. You know, watching organizations, even if they not necessarily – feel like they're required to do it, they're going to do it because they just, you know, everybody's going to be sort of expecting them to do it. You know, it's interesting because when you shared this case, I immediately thought it had happened recently and it was with people stole it from uh, a database, but it, it just goes to show that, you know, crimes just evolve, you know, kind of the, they come back in different forms, um, but they um they still have that foundation of somebody wants something valuable. <laughs> Absolutely, that's it. That's exactly right. And, and the crimes always evolve, but end of the day, organizations, no matter what format it's in, still have valuable information, and they really and they need to recognize the value of it and, and recognize that people are out there looking to get that information. Thank you to Sean, and thank you all for listening to this month's episode of Fraud Talk. This is Mandy Moody signing off, and don't forget that you can find us on Google Play, on iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app. And if all of those fail, which they won't, you can find us at acfe.com slash podcast. See you next month.